couple things before we get started this morning. We're going to keep the children's church doesn't have church this morning, and that's just because it was one of those days where everybody that was on the team, either because of sickness or because of travel, decided to take off on the same day. So today, they stay in and, um, you know, just control them. I'm just kidding. My, mom, my, my wife used to control my kids with her eyes. I don't know how that works anymore. But she just, she's just like statues, right? How many remember the mom eyes? Anybody? Now nah, the kids just do whatever they want to. Back then, it was just your mom just look at you like frozen in place. So it's going to be great. So um, let's get right into it this morning. I'm, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about where the word is, is going to go. We're starting a brand new series. They're all connected, so it's not like we unplug from one and plug into the other one. Everything is based on the kingdom of God, and, and most of you already know that. And hopefully, you know, we did a, almost a month and a half just on the ideas of kingdom of God living and thinking. And I don't know, you know, maybe of a show of hands, we did good this morning. Has, has any of the, the messages helped you change the way you look at life? Come on, let me see your hands. Anybody? All right, there you go. That's what it's about. You know, it's about renewing our thinking. And the more you think about kingdom of God, the less you think about that messed up world out there, right? Because it's just a mess. And... Uh, and we're called to be in that world that's messed up to make it better. That's our job. Look at the person next to you and say, you're called to make it better. Come on. I need to break the ice. All right. You know, you're called to make it better. And somehow, somebody's life better. Speaking of better, I have a huge praise report. And it's, um, it's just God's faithfulness and goodness and kindness. And I'll just, um, I'll just read it right off my text to you. So as you know, we were, um, we were praying and believing God for um, this lady from our church. In, in Laredo, you know, Faithway is one church. Hopefully some of them might come this afternoon to be part of the, our Super Bowl party and all that. But um, so she texted me. She, she's, she, had, she, has, she was diagnosed with cancer in January, and I got this text yesterday. It says, the nurse called me, and I'm cancer-free. Come on, give the Lord praise. And... It says, the biopsy came out negative in Jesus' name. Thank you for all your prayers. And then she writes this. On January the 5th, I was diagnosed with cancer. And February the 5th, I'm cancer-free. God is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what it's about. Amen. Come on, give the Lord another hand clap. That's, that just blessed me. And the thing, you know, the story with, with this, this lady is that she's one of our newer church members and... She had no experience with an evangelical church or Christian church. You know, her, her life had been Catholic. And, and, you know, even when she walked in and she began to, to absorb it. But she's the kind of people that, you know, understood what a relationship with Jesus was. And this is why I keep saying people, you know, there's, this is going to go right into the, the teaching. You know, sometimes newer people, or I've been talking people right off the street that have never really been exposed to any of this. Sometimes it just seems like God just moves in their life, you know, really quick. And I always wondered about that because then you look at people like us, including myself, that we've been doing this, you know, for many, 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 many years, and sometimes we struggle with issues. You know, we struggle like, why isn't God is showing up, or, you know, it seems like this is not getting done. Well, I'll tell you what the, the main reason is, is that people that walk in like that, they just have like a childlike faith. It's not complicated, you know, they, they just choose to believe, and choose to believe that Jesus is real. They don't know a lot about the Bible, they don't... They can't quote scriptures like we do, right? Chapter and verse. 
but they have a childlike faith. And Jesus did say, if you come to me, you must come to me with the faith of a child. And that's not that hard because, you know, I'm talking about, you know, your kids especially, you know. It's kind of in, in a world that we live in now, we almost have to teach our kids to, be the, to not trust, right? Because it's so weird out there. But you, t- you teach them to trust their family, right? And a kid, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an eternal jokester. I'm always making jokes and I'm always goofing off at that level. And, and sometimes I'll say things and my grandkids come back and ask me, is that real or not? Because <laughs> they believe it's, and I, and I made a promise to this little young man when he was little, I said, I will never, ever lie to you. You can take that to the bank. You learn to trust, right? And there's really no reason to trust. You just trust because there's love. You trust because, you know, and I think as a child, you know, you're, you begin to approach God like that. You're just like, I don't understand everything about God, but maybe I can just trust him, right? Just relax and settle down. And, and if he said something, believe it, you know? And that's the situation we're having, you know, that, that's why we have such an awesome praise report. So, so this series, you know, that we're starting, I, I really prayed about thing, and, and I've, it's been a few years since we've really done anything with this approach, is to just talk about foundations. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about foundations of success as, as a Christian life. And all these foundations will transfer into your business, they'll transfer into your marriage, they'll transfer into raising your kids. You know, they're they're foundations for life. They're not just foundations for knowing the Bible. They're not just foundations for being spiritual. They're foundations. So I, you know, there's there's a lot of them we could go through. And I was just trying to get the the the, you know the fundamental ones, the most basic ones that I that I would make a difference. So we'll see where it goes. It might end up being a two-month series or longer, because there's a lot of things that I consider foundations. So I just went back into my own personal life, and I said, since I met the Lord in 1992, what are the foundations? that have made the biggest difference in my life. So that's really where my approach to this teaching. And I narrowed it down to about four, but you know, I know how this is gonna end up. There's probably gonna be more by the time the series is over. So let's go right into it. So let's talk about you know, foundations for success for Christian life. And the first thing I want to um, kind of break you up what we're go- where we're going with this. This is kind of the introduction of the whole series. And then we're gonna, we're gonna work on the first one this morning. So this is kind of like I said, my, my top four this is not in any order. This is not a theological approach. This is not, because, you know, if you look at foundations, somebody could come up with ten foundations. Some could have put two. This is just mine. So I came up with these four. I did a lot of soul searching. I said, okay, God, what are the four things that have made the biggest difference in my life as a, as a believer? Coming into this in September of 1992 and still being here, you know, pushing 30 years of doing this. You know, next year will be 30 years since I gave my life to God. And number one is prayer. And we're, we're going to talk about that today. Number two is faith and a, a, an understanding of what faith is, going from believing in God to actually believe God, kind of lines up with the idea of purpose. And then, of course, the purpose of what drives us, what, what makes me come back next Sunday, what makes me come back next Sunday, what makes me come back next Sunday and Sunday and Sunday for 30 years, is a clear understanding of your purpose in life. You know, what did God call you to do? What, what are, why were you here? Why were you born? And I think, you know, that's a great philosophical question of all times. Why am I here? Well, you know, God tells us why we're here, so we'll talk some about that. And then the other one was worship. And worship, of course, is not just music. It's not just songs. It's the presence. It's the word worship is a, comes from an old English word called worthship or the value that you give God. 
and how to access the presence of God. And like this morning, even the presence was here. As, as, you know, I know they were, they're not used to not having Kathy. And I feel for them because I've been you know, on that stage many, many years. It's not an easy thing, but the presence shows up. You know, when you worship God, the presence shows up. I've been in services where people worship with no instruments, and the presence of God would show up. Amen? I was in a church in Monterrey. RJ might remember that. That lady singing, remember that? <laughs> that lady singing, you know, worship songs with an untuned guitar, and she never changed the note. She just held one note, Freddie. <laughs> Every song was one note. <laughs> you know, she sang everything with one note. But guess what? The presence of God showed up. Because worship was about the heart, right? So, I do, so that's the kind of things we're going to talk about. So anyhow, let's get right into it this morning. Let's take advantage of the time. So let's go into this. The first, um, the introduction, I want to talk about foundations first before we actually tackle prayer. Why are foundations important? So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me there into, um, I'm sorry, I didn't put the reference. It's um, um, Mark, Matthew, believe, Matthew 13. But anyhow, 24, it says, therefore, this is Jesus talking, you know, give us a, giving us a teaching, says about foundations. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everybody say foundation. So now we're going to, now Jesus is, is showing us a picture of how, why is it important to have a good foundation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who was built in this house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as theirs. Now, what I want to pull out of here is that Jesus presents two scenarios of two people building houses. Now, what's interesting about this to me, it's, the same per it's two, two different people building the house in the, basically the same location. This is what I get out of it. Except one man, you know, took time because building foundations is like the, the most boring part of any project. You know, I've been in construction all my life, and the foundations is the part that nobody sees, that nobody cares, but it's the most important part of a project. So one man spent time building his foundation. The other one, you know, was kind of just in a hurry to get the house built, so he ignores the foundation. He just wants everybody to see this beautiful house. Well, what happens side by side? This is a picture I get. We got two houses side by side, both beautiful homes, both looking really nice. You know, except the storm came and hit both houses. So I can imagine maybe a coastal home, hurricane season, whatever. Nonetheless, you know, here are both houses side by side. Same storm comes. One house is completely destroyed, you know, eliminated from the map, and the other one is still standing. It might be beat down, might have broken windows, but it's still there. And the only, only difference is one had a solid foundation. You know, in, in 19... Um, I was thinking about this this morning, 1987. I can't forget that day because that's the day that my son was born. And, and I was working in Michoacan, Mexico at a geothermal project. If you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. But it's, um, it was for electric, big, big electric project. And it was way up in the mountains. And the end of the project was to bring in all these lines of these sulfur, you know, where they would get the sulfur out of the ground and, you know, kind of like oil, but it would be basically sulfur pressure and run turbines. But at the end of the project, there was a, a 50 megawatt plant that had to be built. And we, um, we were in, in, the, in the jobs that we were, we were in the construction lab, in the inspection lab, I mean the inspection part of the, the project. 
So we had to make sure the concrete was done right and all that right. Well, the final pour of this, of this uh, you know, the foundation for the big, big plant that they were going to build, one part where one of the main generators was going to set, I know it's a lot of technical stuff, most of you don't care, just I think it's interesting, had to have 3,500 cubic meters. So, I mean, if you want to get an idea, meters more than a yard, but, you know, you could say roughly maybe 4,000 cubic yards of concrete. If you can imagine that. I mean, and the pour went on for three days, solid, day and night. You can't stop the pour because it's got to be one rock. And my son was born in the middle of that pour, and my company that didn't let me go because it was like, you, we have to be here. We were working 24-hour shifts. We couldn't leave, so I didn't, actually didn't meet Maurice until he was, you know, three days born. Everybody met him before I did. So, you know, I can't remember that day. Yeah, so we were there day and night pouring concrete. You know, we do eight-hour shifts in the lab, and, and it was this massive thing. And at the end, if you see a picture that I almost put an online picture of the plant, but you see, you don't never see that. You just see the building on top. You never see the mass of concrete that is such, you know, it's this gigantic rock of 4,000 cubic meters of, of, of rock that's under it because that's what it takes to hold this thing up. And, you know, foundations is something that we, that we all have to really think about. I just want to give you, like, you know, shotgun a few scriptures at you. I just picked three regarding foundations. Because foundations, sometimes we kind of, you know, we, we skip by the foundations, even in, in Christianity, because, you know, you walk into church and say, well, I need to know how to get, you know, my prayers answered. I need to know, you know, I'm, I'm broke. I'm this. You know, my kids are on drugs. My marriage is failing. Yes, I understand all that, and, and, and God has a solution for that. But sometimes you need to build a foundation First, because guess what? In life, as most of you have experienced in some form, storms come. Can I hear an amen? Storms are coming. There's no way you're going to get out of that. You know, Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. But then he said, don't fear, I have overcome the world. So storms come to the righteous and the unrighteous people. Now, how we end up at the, at the other side of the storm is what makes the difference. Because most people... Storm comes, and they're kind of like the, the person that built their house on the sand, right? I mean, the storm comes, and it's catastrophe a, a, across the board. And, and, and then you start watching how do Christians, how do Christian families navigate through storms? And most of us have seen it. We've seen people go to heaven. We've seen, you know, this COVID season. We've, you know, we've somehow, all of us have been affected directly or indirectly. Like I said, one of my best, best friends call him a brother. I would call him a brother because he was more than a friend. Passed away two weeks ago, and, and it was me, and it, and it hurt. I mean, that was, it was, you know, it was painful. It was sad. I'm, I'm glad I know he's in heaven. But, you know, we've all been touched somehow, directly or indirectly, by this thing. But you know why I'm still here today, and you know why we're happy, and you know why we're, we still have a good attitude, is because our foundation is solid. Can I hear an amen? You know, the, you know stuff that, that, that is deeply rooted, and there's things about God that will grow into you that are foundations that nobody can once once let me tell you how you know what how is a, what is a foundation if I may say is is you'll hear things for example I'll give you one I know I'm kind of on a little rabbit trail but maybe somebody needs to hear this we've talked about this you know for years in this church we've preached about the spirit of fear can you hear me man and we've broken it down and we've shown you why you sh why you need to address it in your life don't give any place for, to the devil and we attack it. Well, that's been going on for years, and we hear it every year, and there's somewhere in the yearly teachings of this church, it will be addressed not only once, but sometimes various times. Well, it doesn't mean a lot till there's a reason to fear, right? 
I mean, that's a good teaching. Yeah, we got this, Pastor. We don't fear. I sleep good at night. I don't, I don't freak out if I hear a bump in the night. Amen? I get that. I can walk outside. I'm not scared. I can travel on airplanes. And I'm, you know, I got that. But then this pandemic hits. And what was the driving? It still is today. The number one driving thing of this pandemic, it's not science. It's not the masks. It's not the hand sanitizer. It's not Dr. Fauci and anybody else. It's fear that drives this pandemic. And as soon as people start relaxing in fear, if you haven't noticed yet, they'll add another little thing to it. Because they don't want you to bust out. Because they're like, okay, we got the vaccines, yay. It's, we're coming out, oh, no, 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 don't get excited because now we have all these different strains of COVID. And now the vaccines might not work. So here we go right back, right? You know, there's a, there's a moment like, aha, and they're like, no, no, don't get too comfortable. What is driving this thing? Because fear is a controller. That's the reason it is. And I'm not on any political statement, but, you know, this has been said publicly. It was said by... Uh, Ms. Hillary, at one point, she said, never waste a good crisis. That's, that's out of their own mouth. Don't ever let a good crisis go to waste, correct? And they're doing a great job at it. They eliminated Mr. Trump out of the agenda because you don't let a good crisis go to waste. And they're not going to let it go to waste. So what's the responsibility of the church? Well, it's, you know, that's what I'm saying. More than ever, you have to have your foundation on the kingdom of God. This is not an anti-government statement. I'm just saying we have to have a solid foundation. Amen? So there's just a little three, three references I want to give you. The, the first one, it, it goes back to what I just said, Psalm 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Nothing. Because if you don't have a foundation, you have nothing to stand on. And again, this is something I'm, I'm telling you people, pay attention to this. This is not about left, right, Republican or Democrat, but there is an agenda to destroy the foundations. What is this thing about tearing down statues? Yes, we know the horrible history of America, but it's part of our history, good or bad. Mexico has a horrible history, and they're not tearing anything down. You know, there was pretty much a genocide to the native people of Mexico. You realize that in Cuba, the native people, the native tribe of Cuba, the, I forget how to pronounce it, Cayennes, I guess, was the only native tribe of Cuba. They were one tribe, Joe, that was completely eliminated. There wasn't one left. When the Spanish conquest came into Cuba, they killed every single one of that tribe. Like in Mexico, we still have, you know, the Aztecs and the Olmecs, and just like America, the Navajo, and so forth. Cuba, zero. Completely eliminated, every one. Because so, I asked, I said, so who are the natives of Cuba? Is there, there's no natives left. They wiped them all out. So everyone has this really, really bad history. But just because you have bad history doesn't mean you have to take it or make it go away, right? We learn, and we learn that slavery is a horrible thing, and we learn these bad things, these atrocities that have been committed, you know, in the name of whatever, and we, and, and we become better of it. We say we don't want to go there. But, you know, right now we're watching the foundations destroyed. And I'll tell you this one. This will be my last little statement, and then we'll get straight into the word, and I feel the church has to speak it. The foundation thereafter right now is your Constitution and your Bill of Rights. That, that that foundation that I believe was God-inspired over 200 years ago has made this the greatest nation in the world. That's the found, This is why America is great, is because of that foundation. That's the only thing. There's no, we're not better than anybody. We're not better looking than anybody. We're not smarter than anybody. But we have a better foundation than most nations. 
Can I hear an amen? That's what made America great, the foundation that of we the people, the foundation that you, you do have a right to pursue happiness, the foundation of free market society, the foundation that if you work hard, yes, you will obtain an American dream. Are you still here? That is being eliminated as we speak. And they're trying very hard because once the foundations are destroyed, righteous people can't do anything. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to bury myself in this, but, you know, as parents, you need to talk to your kids about this. Let them know what their constitution is. Let them know what the Bill of Rights is. Let them know what it means to be an American because they're coming after all this. And then another one for us, and this is where we're going to get into the word, is the foundation of this. Don't be surprised because they're going to start cracking down on, <laughs> on the church. That's coming next because you, you, you have to sing and dance according to their tune because that's the only way they can control you, and Christians don't sing and dance to that tune. Hello. I'm letting you know. So when stuff comes up, don't be surprised. Now, let's go back into this one. Let's go back into the word. So, so foundations are very, a very important thing. You know, we know as far as, you know, the examples I use as construction and so forth. Now, Hebrews 11.10 says, um, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, and I like this. It says, whose designer and builder is God. Now, I want you to take just that last line and think about your home, think about your family. Don't think about church. What are you building your, your home on? You know, what is the foundation for your kids? What is the foundation for your marriage? What is the foundation for? Because at the end of the day, I want the foundation of my house to be designed and built by God. Amen? Because that foundation doesn't fail. That foundation is, is permanent. It, it's solid. So, you know, there we have a call to say, okay, our foundation should be designed by God. And why is that? Because that foundation will hold steady through thick and thin. Amen? That foundation has not been shaken over 2,000 years. They try to destroy, they, you know, we're not, this is not something new. They've been trying to get rid of this thing for thousands of years. At one point, they locked it up in monasteries and nobody could read it. And, and then if the people heard it, they, were, they heard it in a language they didn't understand. But you know what? This book is solid. And it has, they burned it. They've tried to hide it. They've tried to destroy it. They're still trying to do the same thing. But guess what? The foundation is solid. And this book will always survive. So, you know, we see that. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, and there's a lot in there, and I just picked those two scriptures. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And, of course, Paul is referring, before I, I finish it, just give you what's going on in context, Paul is referring to the churches. And, you know, he says, I set the foundation, and it's okay for other people to build on the foundation, but it's not okay for people to modify the foundation. Can I hear an amen? Because this is, you know, a lot of time, you know, a lot of the stuff, I've had these debates with Christian people that live in ultra-liberal progressive systems, and when you, and it is concerning, I mentioned this last week, I'm not going to, because then I'll get bogged down on it, but it is concerning when Christians begin to accept things within their Christianity that God already said was wrong. Can I hear an amen? I mean, God, there's, I mean, he didn't really, you know, he said, this is right, this is wrong, but in, in the progressive, liberal approach of Christianity today, we're modifying that. We're modifying that to the point that it's okay to have, you know, immorality at the pulpit and leading people spiritually, and everybody's okay with it. Well, that is not correct. That is, 
a house that is being built on sand. Are you still here? And that sand's gonna, it's gonna when the storm comes, those foundations, those liberal progressive thinking, where there's no power, there's no approach to the word, there's no approach to, to self-discipline or you know, righteousness and holy living and all these things, when you begin to see that, and, and the next storm that comes, guess what? Those people don't have anything to grab onto. I've seen this, church. I mean, we, we see it all the time. The difference between you and some of these people is that you know the word. You know that God said certain things about, just like he said, by his stripes you were healed. He spoke, that's why, you know, this, this lady that we're talking about um, from Laredo, from Faithway Laredo, except she's brand new to this, but, you know, the church rallied behind her. We've, we've seen that happen in this church, amen? One of the great stories, I don't, you know, most of you heard of it is um, Gabby and, and, and Rhonda and, and what they went through a few years ago. But the whole church rallied behind them, and we were praying, and we stood, and that's what happened in Laredo. And then the last thing I did before she went to San Antonio for the, for the, the tests and all these things, I gave her a whole healing package. I gave her, I said, here's a CD of healing scriptures. Here's a healing book. Get into this. Put this day and night. Get your head filled with this. And because she followed simple, simple orders, childlike faith, right? I said, you don't need to watch the news. You need to hear this. And I gave her a CD of, of, of Gloria Copeland's, you know, healing scriptures, where they're playing with music, and all you hear is healing scriptures. Well, those are the foundations. And now she's, she's here with a praise report that she's cancer-free. That didn't just happen. Th that happens because we built a solid foundation. Even though she's brand new, we built a foundation under her. Are you still here? And she did her part, and that's really what Paul was saying. He says, I have prepared the foundation, but it's really up to, the, to you guys to build on it. And, and that's really kind of you know, what he was saying about that thinks I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And, I, and there's other scriptures, I don't want to, there was too many, but one, another one I didn't use. It refers to Christ as the cornerstone. How many have heard that? He's the corner. Now, if you don't know what a cornerstone is, you know, it's, it's something we don't use nowadays, but back in those days, in the first century, second century, third century, and even before Christ, you didn't have all the technology. You didn't have all, you know, you didn't have GPS uh, surveying equipment, and you didn't have, you know, lasers to, to shoot elevations. So how did you get a, how would you get a building straight? Now, if you've ever tried to, has anybody ever tried to build something that you didn't really measure? Thanks, H, your both hands. I, I mean, as a contractor, sometimes we want to get it done. Come on, let's be honest. How many built something and you didn't really measure it? Come on, anyway. And then you looked at it, it was kind of like, huh. Why does it look like it's sideways, right? Well, what happens is you didn't, you didn't get squared up. Now everything's off, you know, and there, there was a, there's a little joke. It's a Spanish joke, too. It's a contractor joke, but, you know, when you're measuring stuff in Spanish, you say, le falta un pelito. ¿Cuántos han oído eso? Le falta un pelito. So the guy was, le falta un pelito, le falta un pelito. And then the owner came up and the whole house is out of whack. He said, pues ya me la llenaste de pelos. He said, because all you have to do is go off an eighth of an inch here and you'll be off over there like three feet, right? So, all the, so a cornerstone, let me tell you, because this is, this is really profound. Jesus being called a cornerstone is not just a cute little analogy. This is pretty profound because a cornerstone, back in, when they were building houses, had to be perfectly square. And we, you know, you're a contractor, Joe, you know how that works. <laughs> Had to be perfectly square. 
I mean, they would cut this thing and measure it and measure it. And they spent a lot of time and to be the one stone. So when you said, we're going to build this, whatever we're going to build, they would put that stone where they wanted to, and that stone would dictate everything else about that building. Because it was so perfectly square. They, they, so they, didn't, they didn't have to. But if you could just go off that stone, you'd get the building right. Because that right angle was perfect. But it had just one cornerstone. It didn't have four cornerstones. You just went off one, and then you would measure, measure, measure. And by the end, you came back to this one, a better match, right? And that, to me, is so significant because Jesus is referred to in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the chief cornerstone. I mean, he's the one that sets the whole thing in place, and he has to be the foundation of your life. Can I hear an amen? Because he is, I mean, his direction, both sides, that right angle is perfect. And you don't even have to be that good at building. That's the cool thing. Because once he gets that foundation, it sets for the rest of your life. And that's how you begin to raise your kids. And that's how you begin to raise your family. That's how you handle your finances. And that's how you handle your marriage. And that's how you handle ugly people. And that's how you handle good people. And that's how you handle everything because it's not about my opinion. Because if I try to build this house, it's going to be really weird looking. But once he sets the foundation... That's what, you know, my wife and I just celebrated 35 years of marriage last week. Glory to God. The miracles, we haven't killed each other, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, the thing that has kept this marriage alive was Jesus. That's the only reason we're together. You know, we love each other a lot, but there have been times, like most marriages, you go through different seasons. But there was a foundation that said, divorce is not an option, so we're going to have to figure this thing out. Can I hear an Amen. You know, it's, it's, we have to come back to Jesus. If it's my fault, if it's her fault, we have to come back to the foundation. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. If God gets on you about repenting, then you need to repent. Because <laughs> there's been times when I, it was her fault, and she knows it, and I know it, and God knows it, but God put it on me and said, you need to say you're sorry. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> sorry I met you or what? No, because that's the foundation. And that's why we're still together today. Raising these kids, raising my kids, and God gets all the glory, you know, all of it. As you've heard me say before, kids don't come with a manual. I wish they would, right? Operator's manual. You just do the best you can. And, you know, there were times when I thought I had failed miserably as a parent, but today all of, every, my whole family's in church, so I guess we did one thing right, right? So we might have failed a lot of areas as, as in parenting, but at least we laid a foundation of spirituality in them. Because now they're adults, they got their own kids, they got their own families. But guess what? They're still gravitating to the things of God. Glory to God. Amen. So we got to take this really serious, church. I mean, it's, you know, this, this, I know I'm spending a lot of time on, on just the idea of a foundation, but you have to look, go back into your life. And these are conversations you have to have with your wife and you have to have with your kids. What are we building this thing on? Where are we going with this thing? Because once you settle the foundations, a lot of things just kind of click. Because the main one is, once I set that cornerstone down, and Jesus being the center foundation, my opinion doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. You can have all the opinions you want, because at the end of the day, if you are a true Christian, if you believe in Jesus, and you believe in the power of God, it really doesn't matter how you're feeling today. What did he say about forgiveness? What did he say about giving? What did he say about serving? What did he say about anything? Amen? So... That's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. So the first one, let's go right into it. The first one is, um, well, just a little note I already said this a few times, but every success story 
has a solid foundation. You know, as much as people want to do this, I'm going to help you guys, especially you younger people, millennials, and all those. I don't know, I lost count of all the generations that are out there. But, you know, the idea of overnight success is not, is very uncommon. Nonetheless, people pursue it. Or the ideas of get rich quick. You see companies out there, I'll give you one that everybody's aware of. For example, Apple, Apple products. Do you realize that Steve Jobs got kicked out of his own company? Anybody know that story? He invented this. I mean, he created this thing, but the company was going so, so but, but you know what happened, what the, the thing about Steve Jobs, and there's a lot of things I don't agree with Steve, you know, on, on certain things, but nonetheless, he was a brilliant mind. But you know what, what people don't see is the foundation. And even though there was a really hard season for Apple computers or Macintosh, back then it was called Macintosh, and he got booted out of the company because they thought he was doing such a horrible job, the foundations that he built when he was building computers in his garage and his work ethic. Same thing for Mr. Bill Gates and all these guys that you see. Oh, well, look at these guys. They're you know, ultra billionaires. It didn't happen overnight. They built foundations first. And even though when it looked like he was losing his company, because of the foundations that he had, he eventually came back into Macintosh, or you know, once then it was Apple, and made it the success story that it is today. And even though he's dead and gone, the, the, the company had such a good foundation that it doesn't really matter who runs it. Are you with me? You know, foundations are these things that will carry through generations. You know, hopefully even when you build an organization like a church, you know, that, that in the process of building a church, you're, you're equipping people, you're equipping leaders, you're helping it so the day that, you know, I'm gone, the, ch the church doesn't just fold up. There's been a, such a foundation that hopefully, you know, the church is more solid than even than the leadership. Because every success story has a solid foundation. Every successful marriage, every kid that made it in life and is not, you know, on drugs or in prison, he had a good foundation somewhere. Are you with me? So every success story has a foundation. So don't think, you know, these, you know, quick, that's what I'm saying, I want to help millennials. You know, people got involved with the stock market the last few weeks and didn't really know what they're doing. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Because, you know, when you buy GameStop at 400 and then the next day it's $50, you can lose some money. Not that anybody cares, but you know what's happening? Those people don't have any foundations. They don't know the first thing about investing. They just got, woo, we're going to be rich overnight. And a few people did get rich, but most people lost a ton of money. The people that knew what they were doing ended up getting all the money. So, you know, foundation is something everyone has to have. So, if, you know, if you're going to get into investing, you better find out what you're doing. Say amen. And I believe you should be investing something, but yet before you go in and go there, you better find out how the whole thing works. Or at least have some working knowledge, because every success story has a foundation. I keep bringing that home, bringing that home, because even Christianity, we go back to how come some people seem like they're really tracking on the things of God, blessings on their house, and then you see other people like they're just kind of bumping through this thing. You know, well, I'm, I'm going back to it. I'm, I'm going to put it right back on what did you build it on? Because in the church, there's a lot of misinformation. Or let me put it this way. Let me, let me reword that. In church, 
there's a lot, there's high expectations based on wrong information. Amen. And you'll hear some guy that calls himself a preacher to say, if you give $1,000, God will give you 10000 Well, he's playing off your greed now, right? There's not a lot of spirituality there yet. And you're like, hmm. And he'll throw a few scriptures out there to convince you, and you take your $1,000 and you give it to that ministry, and nothing happens. It's funny how that works, and you get mad at me. That's happened to me. I had a lady years and years ago. She got in my face because she had sent... This guy down in the valley, you know, the guy, I don't want to say his name, but his name is Paulino. But anyway, um, I mean, I'm not making, I'm not judging the guy. To me, he's just a businessman. I don't think he's, I don't really don't think he's a man of God, I'll be honest with you, because a man of God doesn't do that. Doesn't, he's there to be a blessing, not to destroy people. And um, she came back to me, and she, she was in my face. She goes, you know, I gave Brother Paulino $100, and nothing happened. I said, well, why don't you call Brother Paulino? Why are you talking to me about that? Well, because, no, 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 don't talk to me because I didn't, I didn't teach you that. Yes, I believe God prospers, and there's a principle of seed time and harvest, and it works all the time, and that's a foundation in my life. I told you that last few weeks ago. You want a foundation in Pastor Bob's life? Seed time and harvest. If there's something my wife and I eat and breathe all the time, is that. We believe that with a passion, and we've seen it work over you know, almost 30 years of our life. But I don't go into that idea to say, ooh, I'm just going to throw money at it and see if I can get rich. I do it because it's a foundation of my faith. If God never, ever, ever, never, ever gave me a nickel back, I would still be a tither. Because he said so. That's about as easy as it gets. I would still be a giver. Why? Because he said so. But guess what? In that foundation, he also said, you can believe for 30, 60, and 100. And that's what some of these scam artists take and play, play off your need and try to sell you this. But that's not a solid foundation. Because again, even in the Bible, there's no get-rich-quick schemes either. You want to walk with God in the areas of prosperity, you start with a tithe. And you go before God and you figure that thing out. And, you know, and if it doesn't work, you can't come back and tell me it doesn't work. But I, you know what? I, I still have to meet a tither that it hasn't worked for. Now, tithers, just like everybody else, we can go through seasons. Uh, trust me, I've tithed almost, I'm not going to say every little penny, because I'm sure I missed a few. I'm, not, I'm just being honest with you. But we're pretty consistent. since we. And there were seasons where we went through rough, rough seasons. And I would go to God, and I'm like, God, I just, uh, could you just meet me one-to-one right now? It would be really good. <laughs> you know, We can do 30, 60, and 100 later. But it was rough. But you know, the covenant was still strong. And since it was a foundation of my faith, it wasn't an option. Monica can tell you, we would, we would pay our tithe on Sunday. They would cut our electricity off on Monday. And the devil says, you're an idiot. You should have paid your electricity. Anybody been there? But that was the foundation. There was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like an option. We, we decided that was the foundation of our faith. And we've been there ever since. So, you know, every success story, well, I mean, your, your Christian life, so you have to go back to, why do you do what you do? What was the, why, why do you forgive people that, that don't deserve it? They haven't done anything. But you should make a choice to release it because he said so. You don't want to release it, but he said so. So now that becomes the foundation of you. See, so all these building blocks are really what gives you the success. So let, let's go into the first one. Let's talk about prayer. That's all we're going to deal with this morning. And again, it's not a, you know, 
exhaustive study on prayer. It's basically just a general introduction, but I think when I say prayer, everyone should know what we're talking about. So let's just go through the outline. Every Christian success story will begin with prayer, right off the bat. You want to take a note? You start there. Before any endeavor in your life, any, I mean, it can be a storm or it can be a dream. You start it with prayer. Amen. So I'm not, I'm not just talking about crisis. I'm talking, hey, you're dreaming for a house. You're dreaming for something good in your life. You're dreaming for a better job. Every Christian success story will begin with prayer. We are sitting in a debt-free building today because years and years ago, we, we had no money. We were in that little building, and we knew there was a need to build this. And God said, you pray three times a week at 7.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We did that for about a year. That's when I was living in Heavenville. We'd just come in, and we'd have... Three prayer meetings a week. Sometimes we'd finish right at eight. Sometimes we'd go further. It just depends on, on what God was doing. And we did that, 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 and we prayed. And then one day he said, God spoke to my heart. He said, build it. And I'm like, well, that's cool. I don't have any money. He said, well, how much money you got? I said, I got, and that's the truth. I had $20. That's all. My whole capital was $20. But, you know, I know what I can do. You guys heard this story. And I said, well, I got $20, sir. He said, well, what can you do with $20? I said, I can go buy some steaks, and I'm not talking sirloin. I'm talking wood and some string line. And I drove a, I drove a steak right there in that little corner, right behind or where Joe's at. I drove another steak right in that little corner. I drove another steak right there in that little corner. I drove another steak right in that little corner. And I got my little string lines, and, and it was a little off, you know, so I kept measuring. You know how you do it, Joe. You've got to measure all your, get, get that center. And I worked on it for a couple hours. I finally got it where I wanted. I said, and I put my shovel down. I said, there it is, Lord. Construction has begun, and I'm completely broke. Glory to God, right? But the foundation was prayer. Well, I'm not going to take you through the whole how it all happened. That was probably October, when was this age, 99? I think it was 99, right? When we started building this. October of 99, by June of 2000, we were in this building completely debt-free. Glory to God. Amen? But the foundation, yeah, give the Lord praise. But the foundation was prayer. That's where it started. It was a conversation with God. So, so the first thing I want to help you, because, you know, different people come from different religious backgrounds. The word prayer sometimes seems hyper-religious, right? It's like, well, we've got to pray. But if I told you you have to talk, nobody has a problem with that. Right? Especially Mexicans, we know how to talk. We'll talk everything. So prayer for those of you that still struggle with this, because maybe of your, you know, your religious upbringing, you know, where prayer was maybe a repetitive prayer, these kind of things, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, if you're not careful, pretty soon prayer is kind of like, even in, in, within the evangelical church, if we're not careful, we fall, fall into these things, right? But prayer is really just communication. It's just a conversation. Okay, let me help you. So if you're struggling, by the way, those that are watching online, you're part of this church, so I'm talking to you too. Um, Let's go into any kind of relationships. Marriage, parent, parenting relationships. Just like prayer is a foundation for success, guess what is the foundation for success in any relationship? Communication. Every relationship will begin to fail when the communication disappears. And I'm not just talking about people looking at you, I love you and I love you back. I mean, that's okay, but there's a lot more the communication needs to go. If couples can just talk about everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and build, and open it up for their kids to have that, you know, because I know most of us were raised in a generation where just, you know, 
don't say nothing, shut up, you know. But, you know, give them a voice. Let them express themselves. Find out what's going on in their heart. You know, that's, that's a, lot, a lot of times, especially when your kids are becoming teenagers, where parents, where we fail, is that we, that we don't listen. Amen. Because we know, and, I, and I, you know, we know what to do. Yes, we know the answers, but sometimes these kids don't just need answers. They just need to talk. You know, and I'll help you even for marriages, husband-wife relationships. Because guys, most guys, including myself, we're just fixers, right? We fix things. And sometimes your wife doesn't want you to fix things. She just wants you to listen. Come on, man, say grunt or something. <clears throat> Ladies, I'm, y'all should be amening louder than the guys. Say amen, pastor, preach it. He needs to hear it. Just elbow him really hard right now. He'll be all right. You know, because, you know, my wife will say, uh, you know, this is going, I'm like, yeah, 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 it's fixed. And it wasn't like that. It was, I want to talk. I want to express some things. Well, prayer is a communication. What would your day look like if you would talk to God like you talk to your best friend? There was a great, great book many, many, many years ago came out by, uh, by Benny Hinn called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. That was a great book. And he would, the premise of the book, he would start every morning. He would say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then, that, that was his, the way his day would start. And he would tune himself into God and tune himself to God. And, and it's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful reason. So prayer is communication. And I think the very first thing you've got to bust yourself out of, depending on your religion. Because, you know, I came up, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I did grow up Baptist. And the Baptist I grew up with, prayer almost was like a, a, an order to go to sleep. How many remember that? We're going to pray. And this was how everybody went. It was almost like a hypnotic thing. We're going to pray. Everybody's out. And then the pastor would say amen, and everybody's awake. Right, Angie? That's the way it is? That was pretty much it, and only the pastor would pray. And everybody else was thinking about their bills, and, oh, they leave the their mind is there. They're not, they're not connected to any of it. So we kind of got raised in that way. Like, prayer was like, oh, gracious heavenly father, you know. And then you had to add, of course, Elizabethan English, because if not, it wouldn't sound right. Theist thouest doest. No puedes hablar ni inglés si quieres hablar. You know, like... You know how bad it sounds for somebody from South Texas trying to use these and thous? No, and, and, and we had all this weird approach, oh, greatest thou is thee as thou is. And God is like, oh, my God, I just want to talk to them. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you talking about, right? That's the feeling I got with God was saying, what is, I need an interpreter with these guys, you know, what's going on? No, God just wants you to have that kind of relationship. And I'll tell you when you're getting there, if you are fighting mad about anything and you can still talk to God, you're getting there. You're getting there. There's been times I was mad. I was mad at God. I mean, it's stupid to be mad at God, but in your misunderstanding of things. But you've got to be able to say, Lord, what's up with this? We need to talk about this. And God said, let's talk about it. And you're going to discover a whole new level of your spirituality that maybe most of you haven't even dived into because maybe there's fear involved or there's, there's confusion involved. But God does want to talk to you. And guess what? He'll talk back. And it'll be a small inner voice. And you know it's him because you're not that smart. That's really how it comes. He'll say things in your heart that are like, whoa. And he'll, be, and he'll speak to you. But sometimes it's a conversation. And a lot of times when we talk about prayer, and we're kind of, you know, even in our prayer meetings, we're kind of guilty of that. We'll come up here with a prayer list and we'll pray for these things. And it's awesome to see God answer prayer and all these things. But a lot of times we just go off and we don't give space for him to talk. But prayer, remember this. If you, this is the main point I want you to get is communication. And communication has two sides. You talk, he talks. You talk, he talks. You talk, he talks. 
but there's, a, there's an ongoing conversation. One another little thing, I'm just kind of throwing you my understanding of prayer, things I've learned. Uh, this guy, Smith Wigglesworth, which was one of the great, great um, evangelists, not our generation, but the previous one, but it was somebody that, you know, in the early 1900s that had some amazing miracles. I don't think we've heard of that kind of stuff since him. Some stuff kind of like that, but to the level that, I'm talking 27 people raised from the dead, 17 of them were confirmed by medical science. The other ones were, we heard about it. At 17, it was like, no, we have a death certificate. I mean, it's, the guy is, you know, they're at the funeral. And it was almost a joke with Smith Wilgersworth because he said, if you don't want the guy back, don't invite him to do the service. Because he, he'll raise him from the dead. So if you want that guy to stay dead, don't invite Smith Wilgersworth to the service. That was like a, a thing in, in England, you know, where he was in, in, or, in different parts of the British Isles where he worked. And one, one case of Smith Wilgersworth, a friend of his had passed away. And back then, you know, it was like it was recent. And they didn't, you know, back in the early 1900s, kind of like in Mexico, I mean, you die today, you're in the ground tomorrow. They don't mess around. They're like in the States, they keep them for a couple months, you know. No, it's pretty quick. And he came into this place, and his friend, close friend of his, had passed away. And he just grabbed him. And he was a big guy. He was a illiterate plumber that learned how to read the Bible at 50 years old. If you think you're too old to do something for God, his ministry didn't start till he was 50 years old. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, that's a super interesting guy. His wife was a missionary, but he didn't know you know how to read. He was illiterate. He was a illiterate plumber. But his wife taught him how to read using the Bible. And that's the only book he ever read, ever. And he grabbed this guy and he would slam him against the wall. He said, walk in the name of Jesus. And the body would just go like a noodle. Blah. And you can, you know, people that after that would be a little uncomfortable, you know. Imagine, imagine we did a funeral, and I just pulled the guy out, and everybody's like, okay. <laughs> For sure, all of Heavenville would be talking about us. I know y'all are watching. I, I know y'all are watching out there. Everybody's watching what Faithway does. Yeah. And by the way, if you're watching, yeah, our, our football Super Bowl party is completely legal, according to the governor. Let me throw that out there for those that are watching us. Big Brother is watching. Get off of that one, Pastor Box. I'm just in that mood today. So Smith Wilgersworth picks him up again, and he slams against the wall. Walk in the name of Jesus. Like a little noodle. And people are starting to freak out. Joe, he did that seven times. That's, and the seventh time, guess what? The guy went, oh. And then you had a church service, right? <laughs> and he repeated that over and over and over. And somebody asked Smith Wilgersworth. I mean, he had, the reports say that the maim, you know what that means? There's, there's a foot missing, an arm missing. I'm not talking about just somebody got healed. I'm talking about a whole foot growing out, a whole arm growing out. I mean, this is the stuff that was going on in his ministry. Like I said, it's Bible. Jesus healed, healed the maim. The Bible says he healed the maim. That means somebody didn't have an arm, an arm grew out. That's, that is in your Bible. Well, this is repeating itself in this guy's ministry. And they asked him, and, and a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I could go on and on about this guy. And I recommend, you know, look him up or YouTube him. If you don't feel like reading, there's great documentaries on him. Just named Smith Wigglesworth. And they asked him, Mr. Wigglesworth, what is the power? Why do you have all this power? They wanted to know. He said, 
because I pray. All right? And then they wanted to know, well, how long do you pray? No, no, they, no that wasn't the word. The word was, how many times a day do you pray? He said, I only pray once. And they were like, what? You mean you only pray once a day? And says, oh, no, I just never turn it off. And that got to me. I heard that years ago. And that really branded my spirit on a whole different approach of what prayer was. That little saying just changed my whole approach of prayer because I realized prayer is not a little thing because this is what we do. We go, Father, you know, fill in all the blanks of all the stuff I need in Jesus' name, amen. Boom, it's closed. Smith Wilson never did that. He would talk to God all through the day. On and off, on, you know, he was a plumber. He was doing his work. And, and, I, and I realized that's the way, and, and, I, and I'm kind of there. I'm not where he's at, obviously, but, but that's kind of how my day is. I don't really turn him off. You know, it's, I get to work. I, I bless my day. You know, because, you know, you have all kinds of stuff that can happen, especially you're out there in the brush, and a lot of places there's not even a phone signal out there. And, and you know, you just don't want to have a bad day. Can I hear an amen? You can have a bad day really quick <laughs> out in the brush. And so I just bless my day, but I don't turn it off. And sometimes I hear a little bit of news, and sometimes I hear a little bit of praise and worship. Sometimes I hear a little Stevie Ray. I'll hear whatever. But I never turn him off. And I'm surprised some days I'm not even thinking about anything. I'm, you know, doing what I do. I'm not praying, and he will drop an idea. You guys know where all these prayer, all these messages come from? You ever wonder, after 30 years, it's challenging to have some fresh messages. But the reason they're fresh is I'll be driving down the road, H, over, you know, working out there where, you know, where I work most of the time and thinking about welding or something, and God will drop an idea like, Hmm, you should talk about foundations. Out of the blue, I'm not even hyper-spiritual. Some people think, Pastor Boggs, he goes to his house, and he has this room, and he closes the door, and it's only him and Jesus with the Bible. No, not in my house. <laughs> Especially when all these guys show up, it's not like that. And then we just got a new puppy. That's not helping. <laughs> if we didn't have enough headaches. No. It's just sometimes amazing, because in my house, it's really hard to get quiet time. So my quiet time is really driving down the highway. Can I hear an amen? Because that's most of your quiet time. Instead of hearing some nonsense that's not going to help you, just turn off that radio and start talking to God. Say, oh, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And pray for your family and pray for your kids. And I mean, just keep going and going. Pretty soon this communication thing begins to grow. So, so you need to break out. My message was you need to break out of this little standard, boxed-in little prayer that officially is closed when you say amen. That, that should be eliminated, and just leave it open. Yes, you can say amen all the time, you know. Um, I say when Caden, Caden goes to school, he hasn't been in school in so long. But, you know, one of our normal things is before he gets off, if I, for whatever reason, happen to forget, or, you know, we're running late, he'll remind me, you haven't prayed, Dad. And it'll be pretty much the same little prayer that we've prayed since he was going to, you know, pre-K, before he gets off of the car, we bless the teachers, we pray for the staff, we pray for everybody in the building, we pray covenant protection, you know, we bless the day. That's just the way it is. But these kids get used to that. Are you still here? Their day is not complete unless that prayer is, is included in their day. That's why I'm thinking, you know, pray for your food and don't make a religion out of it. Because you know how Christians are? I mean, oh my gosh, Christians are some funny people. You know, especially when you're in a restaurant and everybody's like crazy hungry and you eat something, and then you got that hyper-religious person sitting next to you, and, and you're chewing, and you're liking it, 
and they say, oh, we didn't pray, and you're almost like, want to spit it out. <laughs> like if you could have committed some kind of blasphemous act. Come on, grow up. Look at the person next to you, like, grow up. Yeah, let's pray for our food, but let's not be that. You think God's going to, oh, Jesus, they didn't pray for this one, so they will have food poisoning for sure. <laughs> you see how religious we can get about stuff? I said this just to mess people up, and I don't do this. It's more, more of a joke than anything else. Because when people would get like that, oh, we didn't pray halfway through the meal. I'm like, well, you know, January 1st, I prayed for all the meals of this year, just in case I forgot one. Lord, bless all the meals that I will consume in 2021. Amen. I'm good now, you see? Does that mean I won't pray for my No. You know, sometimes there's a funny thing. His name is, what's the guy, the Christian communion? He's so funny. Um, tell me. Chris? John Chris. Look that guy up. He's hilarious. He, he just, he's a Christian, raised in church, homeschool kid, but he's a wonderful comedian. But he jokes about all our stuff, and he's great because we all know it's real. And he talks, he has his whole skit about what food should you pray for and what you shouldn't. So, like, he talks about appetizers, if you're supposed to pray for them. Are you supposed to pray for your coffee or not? You know, and, and it's hilarious. The whole, the whole skit's hilarious, but it's so, it's so ironically funny because Christians, we have turned this amazing thing, which is communication, into this really weird thing where people don't know how to approach your dad. Are you still here this morning? This is what my mission is, prayer over, because I could teach you, I could do six weeks on prayer, trust me, there's a lot in there. That's not the, the scope of the thing. This is, I'm trying to get you to understand something. You have to have an ongoing conversation with God every day of your life. And that is going to be a foundation for your success, so let's keep going. So every Christian success story will begin with prayer. Prayer is communication. Praying in the name is because the name ratifies the covenant. And I just want to mention this one briefly, but why do we pray in the name? Why, you know, in the name of Jesus, why is that the, the standard? It doesn't mean anything if you don't know what the name means. Just because you say, in the name of Jesus, doesn't make it an official legal prayer. Do you know what you're saying when you, set, when you seal it with the name? Well, according to John 14, verse 13 says, For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name, and that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it for you. The reason that is a powerful statement is because the name of Yeshua, Jesus is our modern name, that's our westernized name, but his name was Yeshua, and that name was what ratifies this covenant. This is what makes it legal. The, you know, because it's not the name, it's what he did. So when we say Jesus, we're talking about the cross. We're talking about the blood. Are you here? We're talking about that blood being shed for you. We're talking about that blood being shed for this lady that had cancer. We're talking about that blood being shed. That's what makes it legal. So when you understand the legality of your prayer, then you, that, you know, what I'm trying to say, you have to have communication, but when you're talking to God and you know that it's in the name of Yeshua, you know it's in the name of Jesus, you know it's because of the cross that you have access to this glorious thing, that pretty much settles it. And so yes, you should pray in the name of Jesus, but you should understand why you're doing it. So that's, you know, again, that would be like a whole series on that one. Now, number two, I'm just going to go, there's just three little bullet points on prayer. Like I said, this is not, the purpose of this teaching is not to be deep, deep into a lot of prayer, but it's to give you something that you can go home with today and say, you know what, I'm going to put that as a foundation in my house. You know, I'm not going to go anywhere unless I pray. Amen. 
I mean, on our, every time we go on a road trip, every time we go somewhere, you know, we'll park at the gate or at the outside the house. And God's been protecting us for over, you know, almost 30 years, but that doesn't mean we stop praying for covenant protection. You know, we pray covenant protection over COVID. We're not, you know, we don't, we bind that COVID out. You know, everything is covered through prayer. Are you still here? You know, you, you, everything, every, everything that we is concerned to this family is covered by prayer. So, what is the authority of the covenant? The authority of the covenant are the words of the covenant. And that now brings you to another place because now it's going to cause you to dig in a little deeper. And this is one of my all-time favorite prayer scriptures. I mean, this is such a foundation in my life. And 1 John um, chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and 15, he says, I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. All right, well, that's good. Then he says, since we have this confidence. Let's stop there briefly. Let's teach a little here. What is confidence? Knowing, right? Just simply knowing. I'll, I'll give you the easiest illustration of confidence. You could say it's faith. But it's also faith that's been developed over time. So when you walk into your house this afternoon, after we leave this service, and you walk into your bedroom, and you hit the light switch, you're not really thinking about it. Well, you are if you didn't pay for the electric bill. But, you know, assuming your bills are all paid up, you're not really thinking about it. You know, I didn't see everybody come into this building today, but none, I, I did see that for the most part, if not everyone in this building, nobody checked those chairs to see if they would hold you up. I know some of you have ate a little more this week, so you're like, eh, maybe I need to check this chair. Because it did help me up last week, but I don't know, I had too many tacos this week, so it might not hold me up this week. No, you know, that chair's been holding you up. By the way, Kate asked me, how old are those chairs? I said, those chairs have been here since we built this thing. So you're sitting in 20-year-old chairs, you might want to start looking at them, you know. Who knows, they might just fall apart next Sunday. No, you've built a confidence. You know where I'm going with it. You've built a confidence. And what happens when you walk in your house and you hit the light switch, and the lights don't come out. And you know everything's paid up. What do we do? We hit it like four times, right? See if something loose or something. And then you start, okay, there's a problem. But you, you don't walk in thinking, oh, well, you know, that light switch has always turned that light on, but I don't know, I just don't have confidence today. So I'll just sit in the dark. Because what if it doesn't come on? I know that sounds so silly, and so, but you know what? That's how people approach God. Once you develop a relationship with God, once you develop a confidence with God, you know, we've been doing this a long time, guys. I mean, he, we've been in all kinds of crises. And the crises have passed, and we're still here. Guess what? COVID's going to pass, and you're still here. And they can come with all the other ones, and we're going to still be here because we've developed a confidence. And really, your relationship with God's almost got to be a, like that light switch. When you begin to develop a prayer life, you should be surprised when it doesn't happen. Are you here? You should go like, huh, I prayed for this, and you know, what's going on? And check your spirit, because you know, I'm, I was going to say 99, but no, it's 100% of the time. <laughs> it wasn't God's fault that the manifestation didn't show up. Now, also, to, and, and this is a key scripture to understanding prayer. I mean, if, if I was to say, if you say, Pastor Brock, give me one scripture on how to pray, this is it. This is it, man. This is the number. There's a lot of prayer teaching in the New Testament, lots of prayer teaching. But if I was to pick one, I'm not saying this is the only correct one. This is the foundation. And here it is. 
Since we have this confidence, we can have great boldness before him. And now pay attention to the next statement because having boldness before God represents, it paints a picture of somebody that is family. Amen? Now I've used this little analogy a few times in this church, but I'll bring it up again to help you understand it. So when my kids go to my house, I'm talking about, you know, my son, my daughter, you know, if the doors are open, they don't knock. And as far as I know, I think they still have keys. I might have to change the locks now that I realize that. No, just kidding. But um, they just walk in with boldness. And if there's food laying around, they eat it with boldness. So if there's something that I'm saving for myself, and I know they're on their way, I need to hide it. Because there's no asking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? Because those kids have ownership. But if somebody else, now if you went to my house and you've never been to my house and you walked in and did that, raise eyebrow all the way up to my, you you did not just walk into my refrigerator, dude. I mean, you didn't even ask, can I have a glass of water? You just went in and grabbed it. That would be kind of awkward and weird. And it would be very awkward and weird if I went to your house and just knocked and, not even knocked, just walked in and just went, hey, Angie, how you doing? Where's the fridge? They, they, this, they, she probably wouldn't have a problem with it because, you know, <laughs> but, but Dawson probably would have a problem like, Este vato? I want to make you fall out of that chair, Dawson, now that I, now that I got you laughing. <laughs> Why? Because it's awkward. Guess what's happening to God's people? We are in the awkward with him, but in the wrong way. We're walking in his house like we don't deserve to be there. We're walking in his house like a guest. We're walking in his house waiting for him to say, do you want to sit down? And he's saying, you have great boldness. Boldness is somebody that knows they belong. And here's where the boldness comes from. For if we present any request, anybody say any request. Anything you present to him in prayer that's agreeable to his will. Now that's the key right there. Don't forget that one because you're not going to go to God and ask him to kill somebody because that doesn't agree with his will. Amen? You're not going to get the lotto numbers either. I mean, that would be nice, right? Lord, just, uh, just six numbers, Lord. <laughs> and I'll cut a big fat tithe check. That's not happening. He's not going to have somebody's leg broke because you don't like that person. Oh, that's horrible English. Broken. That's Texan. Your leg broke. If we present any request, let that sink in because I say, if, if I just got to pick one foundation scripture, it's this one. Any request. But it has to agree with his will. Because what you're doing to God, you know, th- this book, church, is made up of history of the Jewish nation, history of the early church. It has a poetic aspect to it, book of Psalms, book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, even the book of James is considered somewhat a poetic book. So it's history, but guess what else it is? It's full of promises. It's full of promises. And every one of those promises, Joe, is his will. Every one of them, brother. That's his will. 
Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers, 3 John verse 2. That's his will. That's his will. He wants you to prosper. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. That's his will. He wants you to be healed. Instruct a child in the way that he should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's his will. Husbands, love your wives. Come on, ladies. That's what your amen, pastor. That's his will. Wives, I was going to say the word submit, but that's harsh, right? Because you're supposed to honor and respect your husbands. I mean, it's just full of promises and commands and instructions and ideas and all of them. When you go to God, and if you ever come to our prayer meetings, you're going to hear this every time. There's not a time that I don't pray that I'm not praying his word. You see, I don't go to God and say, Lord, I need healing. I don't, that's not my prayer. I said, Lord, I just thank you because by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. I receive my healing now. And it's part of my covenant. And the sickness in my body is violation to covenant. And sickness, you got to go now. See, everything I said was his will. I didn't just go, can you heal me, sir? But see, that's, I know it sounds silly, but that's the problem with Christianity is that we don't even know how to pray. The number one thing you need in your life is to be able to communicate with God. And most people don't know how to do it. Because we're too busy teaching about other things, but prayer is just simply going, when you pray, what did the word say? Your marriage is under attack. What did the word say about marriage? That's up to you. Pastor, can you send me scriptures? No, don't, you lazy thing. Get, I was going to say get off something, but, and go find it. I'm, are you kidding me? When I started this, we didn't have internet, and if we had it, we couldn't afford it. You wanted to find a scripture? Did you remember those days? I still got the book, Strong's Concordance. You drop that thing on your foot, it would break your foot. It was a book about that big, about that thick. And if you wanted to find out what God said about healing, you had to go, <laughs> little tiny letters, healing, healing, healing. And I would find every scripture that talked about healing or every scripture talked about faith. Nowadays, all you got to put out your iPhone, smartphone, Google, scriptures on healing. Click, boom. Instant, 50 promises that promise you covenant healing. Instant. You don't even have to go dig around for three hours in, a, in a, some concordance anymore. I mean, it can't be any easier nowadays. That's what we do. You got it. What did God say? Before you go into any kind of conversation, what did God say about that specific situation? You got to spend time building these prayers because that scripture says it in no uncertain terms that you have everything you ask for if you ask it according to his will. That's how it says it. You don't need a three-hour sermon to explain this. You don't need to break it down into the Greek and try to get it. No, it is pretty simple. And trust me, the Greek says the same thing. It says, if you ask anything according to his will, listen how it finishes. Any, this is, by the way, this is Passion Translation, but you can read it out King James. It says, if we present any request agreeable to his will, he will hear us. Guess what happens in, if he hears us? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the request we ask for him. Your key in prayer is to make sure God heard you. Because God doesn't hear prayers that don't line up with his word. And now you begin to see why are some people's life seems like they're on track of the blessing and others kind of just bumping through it. It's because one, to me, primarily one of those people don't know how to pray right. Because you can go to God and say, Lord, heal my family, heal my body, heal my fish, heal my dog, you know, give me some money. 
And, and those are all, you know, there, there's a basis to pray that. But if you don't know your covenant, guess who does know the, guess who knows the covenant? The devil knows the covenant. But he also knows that you don't know it. And he'll test you on that. I get a kick, you know, I say things that I know raise some people's spiritual eyebrows. But, you know, I've been around all this my whole life. And some things just rub me the wrong way. And I, and I, I used to, I don't do that because I'm a much nicer person now. But I heard people say, I just plead the blood of Jesus. I remember one time I was, wasn't having a good day and, and I was tired of that religious spirit. And somebody said that, some lady said it. I just, I, I put the blood of Jesus around my house. And, and I said, why? She looked at me like I was some kind of heretic. Because it's the blood of Jesus. I said, I know it's the blood of Jesus. Well, the blood of Jesus has power. I'm like, why? She couldn't answer that. Well, because it's his blood. Glory to God. That's not the answer. You got to know why the blood has power. Because you can put blood of Jesus all around your house all day, and and the devil's not going to step out over every little one of those little marks that you put because he knows you have no idea what the blood means. It means covenant. It means covenant. Once you know covenant, then... You are in your right to say, I put the blood of Jesus around this whole house, and devil, don't even come close. Amen? I want to share a funny story about covenant thinking and understanding your prayer. Many, many years ago, we were still living in Heavenville back there. We used to be Riverview behind there. And um, we were in a big hurry. We had to go to Mexico. I had finished Sunday morning. We were trying to take off. Back then, we were driving to central Mexico. We had a big convention starting the next week. And I'm not going to say names to protect the guilty, but there was a couple guys that were with us that were going to go very close to me, and they were going to go on the trip. And we were here in the building, and we, had, and we were trying to get out of, you know, let's get, get this on the road, you got to get to the bridge, you got to get your permits. It takes you so long just even to get out of Nuevo Laredo. And then we were going to do an all-nighter and try to get to my house. Anyway, so I'm closing the service, just like we'll do here in a few minutes. And I tell them, I said, take my guitar and put it away, and we'll be there. And everything was, all, everything was already packed. Just, you know, stick it in the house and, and get ready. And as soon as Monique and I get there, we'll, we're gone. And, and, and I had a real nice, I actually sold that guitar. And a really, really nice guitar. It was a Paul Reed Custom 24, not that you care. But it was, you know, those of you who know guitars, it's, it's, back then it was probably under $2,000 instrument. It was really, really nice. So... They took off in a, in a pickup, and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, and of course, before the trip, Father, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, we're outside the house, we pray we're going to have a success trip, safe trip to Mexico, thank you for the covenant, thank you for the word, Psalm 91 stands as covered protection over us, and we went through this whole thing, I thank you, Lord, I command angels around my house right now in the name of Jesus that no evil can touch this house, this is my covenant, I pee the blood of Jesus, the covenant blood protect this house, protect all of our property in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Everybody get in, boom, we're gone. Well, I'll come back. Two weeks later, and those of you know what house I'm talking about, back in the corner, so it's right there. The pickups, the pickup that we had left, is there, and we come back, and I just happened as we had a suburban, and I just happened to glance in the back of the truck. Guess what was sitting in the truck for two weeks? You want to talk about all kinds of mixed feelings? One of them included killing people, but um. I don't know if I was happy, mad, angry. And then somebody that's, they have already moved to Houston. They were very close to our church. Um, good, just wonderful people. He used to work, run one of the dealerships here. Um, he said, you know, I went by your house, 
And I saw that the guitar was there, but I thought you, I didn't pick it up because I figured you'd left it there. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to leave a $2,000 instrument in the back of a truck for two weeks in a dark corner of Heavenville. Because, you know, that corner is very busy back then. I don't know nowadays. Back then it was like a local uh, bus stops station pickup for international students. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's, I mean, that was a rough corner back there, man. There was all kinds of deals going down back there. Like, there's no neighbors, you know, that, that house, just, it was Monte, you know, right across. Anybody could have walked by there and picked up that guitar and would have had $2,000 richer instantly. But nobody did. You know why? Covenant. Covenant. That's what we mean. When you pray on a trip, you better know. And I, and I was kind of making a joke. There was this very bored angel sitting on the truck for two weeks. <laughs> Like, really, Lord, this is my assignment? He said, well, he, he, he called the blood, man. I don't know. You just got to sit there and watch that guitar for two weeks now. <laughs> Even in our mistakes, God's got us. That's good, amen? I mean, and stories like that, I could tell you over and over from covenant protection on highways where we should have all been killed, covenant protection on airplanes that should have not been able to land. I could tell you stories, and I'm not going to mission field stories, but everything came down to this. We didn't just say, Lord, protect the house. We knew exactly what the Bible said about protecting the house. We know what Psalm 91 says. We're aware of it. And it says he will send angels. And I believe in the work of angels. It also says the angels hearken to the voice of the sound of God. An angel doesn't do anything because you say, hey, angel, bring me a cup of water. It doesn't work that way. They hearken to the sound of the voice of God. So an angel, he doesn't make any d distinction between you saying something that God said or God saying something. That's what the scripture says, powerful scripture. It says he, they hearken to the sound of the voice of God. So if God says, you know, angels command angels to take care of that, and if you say, I command angels according to what God said, the angel says, I'm fine with it. God said it, I'm good. So you begin, to act, you begin to understand that successful prayer, successful conversations are not just, you know, hoping and wishing something works out. I know what the word says, and that brings a little bit of discipline into your life because you're going to have to spend some time in here. It's not Pastor Box's job to do that for you. It's your job. And if you're the head of your house, it's your job, sir and ma'am. If, you're, if, you don't, you know, if, there's, if the husband's not around or you're the head of your house, it's up to you to make sure that covenant is strong over those kids. Are you kidding me with all the craziness between the school and the, the, you know, most of us remember, remember the days when the way I grew up in central Mexico, it was like, you know, come home right after dark. Everybody remember that? Your parents could care less. I mean, they would know, there was no cell phone, nothing, I mean. Nowadays, you can't, if you can't, you got to watch your kids everywhere. We've had stories, um, there was a person here years ago, used to come to our church, they, they almost stole their kid in Walmart. They were already walking out, no, they had already walked out of Walmart with the kid and headed to the bus station. Remember that? I mean, are you kidding me? You better know this stuff right now. And I speak covenant over these kids, I know where I'm coming from. I'm not just, oh Lord, I just hope you take care of my babies. I'm not doing that. You will take care of my babies because you said God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm doing that, Lord. You know, and these are, this is the way prayers develop. You're not just hoping and, a, and a praying. You're knowing 
and a praying. He already said it. What did God say about your finances? What did God say about your family? What did God say about your marriage? What did God say about your kids? Hmm? Because that's your prayer. What did God say about COVID? He said, no sickness and disease. That's Psalm 91. I'm trying to tell you, after we get done, you go back and sit in Psalm 91 because it's more relevant today than it's ever been any time. He says, a thousand will fall to one side. He's talking about plagues, by the way. And 10,000 will fall on your other side, but it will not touch your house. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. But I don't just believe it. When I pray covenant protection, I remind myself and I remind the Lord what he said about that. Are you still here? See, that, that's how you build a prayer, guys. So the authority of the covenant are words, and there it is. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the request. And this, you know, brings us to the last point. Let me finish this. I'm running out of time, which is praying in faith. And next week, we're going to talk about faith. So this is going to be kind of the setup for next week. Mark 11, 22 to 26, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Have faith in God. Now all this, we're going to break it down next week, so I'm not going to try to do it t- today. But he does say this, For verily I say unto you, that, whatso- that whosoever, okay, look at your neighbor and say, Hey, whosoever. Hey, whosoever. That means pretty much anybody. That doesn't mean whosoever has been in the church for 10 years, whosoever is more spiritual. No, it's just whosoever. There's, no, there's nothing else attached to that whosoever. That means everybody. The whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Again, there's not, not a whole lot of stuttering in the scripture, right? Pretty much it says, anybody that does this, it works. You have what you say. All right? Where does prayer come in? Look at verse 24, because this is all about prayer. He says, therefore I say unto you, whatever, what things soever you desire, when? Talk to me, church. When you're praying. So your prayer has, does not, it's not just about calamity and crisis. You can add godly desires in there. Specify godly desires. You're not going to pray, oh, Lord, I want her husband. That's not happening. All right? Godly desires. You can ask for a husband. You can ask for somebody else's husband. That's not how it works. I know that, that's like a revelation in Hebron, Bill, but it's the truth. Ay, mis hijos. There's so much going on when you're supposed to pray. Watch this one. Well, how come my prayers don't get answered? Well, maybe it's 25. Maybe you're hooked into 25. When you stand praying, you're supposed to forgive. Ah, oh, but Pastor, we were doing so good. Now you brought that one up. Are we there again? Yes, we're there again. We're there every day of our life. I mean, you gotta watch, if you watch TV, you've got to forgive a bunch of people right after you watch it. You're so mad at everybody. When you stand praying... Forgive. See, the conversation with God is a good time to get it out of your system. When somebody just rubs you completely the wrong way, you go to God and say, Lord, I can't stand them, but you know, help me forgive them. Go ahead and be honest. Don't just be all, oh, Lord, I love them. You don't love them. You know you don't love them. 
stop being a hypocrite. Just go to go, God, I can't stand them. Help me. And God's okay, good. We can have a conversation now. But you see, all this is happening. Now, next week, we're going to dissect this thing completely down to where you're going to walk out and understand how faith works. When I talk about faith building this building, when I talk about, but everything that I'm going to teach you is right here. I mean, I'll use some other references, but it's right here. But just breaking it down to where we're going to, it says, you know, first it says you're supposed to talk to the mountain just not because of you, you're all it. You're talking to the mountain because of his authority. He said, have faith in God. That's where it starts. It doesn't start talk to the mountain. The first thing he says, have faith in God. And if you have a, a Bible, sometimes they'll have a cross-reference in the middle of your paper Bible. If you pick that one out, it says, have the faith of God. So it's not even your faith, it's his faith. Imagine that. So it says, have the faith of God. And then he tells you, number one, once you have that faith of God, you talk to the mountain. You tell it what, you know, what, you know mountain represents challenges, represents things that are bigger than you, so forth and so on. Then he tells you, you have what you say. All this, we're going to break it down last week. But what I wanted to pull out says, when you are praying. The praying is a time that you're believing. The praying is a time that you're receiving. You don't receive it when you see it. You receive it when you believe it. The manifestation can come the next day. It can come in 10 years. It doesn't really matter. Once you prayed it and you saw it in the word and you went to God with it in faith and you spoke to that mountain and you cleared up your confession about it and you forgive all those people around you, now you receive that thing. There's things that we've received instantly. There's things that we received over 10 years. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter. At, at, at that point, it really doesn't matter when it shows up. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's already showed up. But guess what? It does show up. And it's amazing when it does, you know? So we're just going to leave right there. So again, what can you do this very week? Learn to pray the word. That's the message. Learn to pray the word, number one. And when you're praying, make sure you get it all out of your system. Because he tells you right there, if you have aught against any, that your Father also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you don't forgive, if you choose not to forgive, neither will your heavenly Father. And that really doesn't say that he doesn't want to. It says he doesn't have the ability to. Because you are, you are choosing to hold on to a grudge. You are choosing to hold on to an offense. And God says, that's your will, dude. You need to get over that. That's what I'm saying. Unforgiveness is so toxic for you. Get, learn to live in this eternal forgiving mode. That doesn't mean you got to hang out with anybody. That just means I'm not going to let anybody get under my skin anymore. Yes, it bothers. Yes, we're humans. Yes, it hurts. But if, if you just let God move in there, he'll, he'll resolve these things for you where you're like, yeah, that, what they did to me wasn't right, but you know what? It's not worth my, my time to waste. I'm not going to sacrifice my spirituality. I'm not going to sacrifice all the things I got going on with God just because somebody offended me. It's not worth it. Amen? Would you get something out of it this morning? All right, let's go ahead and take communion this morning. Just remain seated. Ushers, if you can minister to the people. And as we are taking communion, I want to suggest something to you. And again, it's just a suggestion. I always try to bring something significant to the communion table as far as prayer goes. But you know, right now we have all this, again, this, this COVID thing is just kind of like, you know, why don't you settle it that that thing's not part of your life anymore? It's not part of your kid's life. I don't care what, how many strains they can come up with. You can, you can minister to the people, ushers, thank you. Go ahead, I'm just talking to them. You know, bring something to this covenant table because communion was about covenant. Communion was about that moment between you and God. And those of you watching us online, go ahead and get your elements of communion prepared. You know, if you says, well, I don't have nothing, Pastor. If you have a piece of bread and a glass of water, that's all you need. 
You know, don't have, there's nothing spiritual about grape juice. It's just something we use. But let's have communion together. You know, our online church, you guys are part of this, just like everybody else. So um, join us in communion. Join us in participating of the Lord's table. But bring something significant to the table. What is the biggest mountain in your life this morning? Can you bring that to the table? Just lay it there and say, Lord, I'm done. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's not even a situation. Maybe you're dreaming for something bigger and better in your life. Amen? All right, I wait for the ushers to minister. Thank you, wonderful Holy Spirit. Did you guys enjoy the word this morning? It's good, right? It's rich. It's amazing. You, you preach foundations, you're going to think it's, well, I know it's always good. God is so gracious. I got a lot out of that this morning. First Corinthians 11. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it. Paul talking to the church in Corinth, speaking about communion, speaking of, and, and what they had done with it. I'm not going to teach on it, but they had gone a different direction. And Paul was trying to bring them back to the foundation of what this. They were having communion, but it had become a party. It had become something actually sacrilegious in a lot of ways. One of the things they did is they would have, they would tell the poor people, oh, communion's at four. And the poor people would show up and nothing would happen. But the real communion was like the rich people would hang out together. And Paul said, you know, all this is so wrong. He said, and the reason some of you are sick and the reason of some of you are dying, he says it right there. I'm giving you the quick paraphrase of it. He says, it's because you misunderstood this. He says it right there. He's the reason you're sick and you're dying is because you've misunderstood that right there. And then he teaches it again. He says there shouldn't be schisms within the church. There shouldn't be this divisive because you're rich and you're poor. Basically, financial racism, if you want to call it that. He said there shouldn't be any racism in the church. That still holds true today. Amen? He said this is what you do. He says if you did this and understood what you were doing, there should be no sick people among you. There should be nobody dying around you. I mean, he says it, right? In no uncertain terms. you got to read pretty much most of the chapter to get that meat. But it's right in there. You know, and, and as pastors, we always just go to the scripture, read what he said. But we didn't tell you why he said it. But Corinthians 11, he is setting a foundation. He said, this is the foundation. This is why it works. Get it right, church. That's what he was telling them. Amen? Now that I said this, listen to... Well, let, me, let me read it before you... Well, I'll, let me read the end and then I'll read the... the the communion scripture. So verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body, pay attention, and of the blood. Well, people got traumatized over that. They're like, what's unworthily? Unworthily is your approach to it. By just saying, oh, it's just a piece of bread, just a cup of wine, or, or, or grape juice, whatever. Verse 28, he says, let, well, it says, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Unworthily means, what do you believe in it? Are you making it nothing? Or are you taking this seriously? But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of this cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, and not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sick among you. And many asleep. The word sleep doesn't mean going to sleep, it means dead. And then talks about judging yourself, and it really talks about this. So, all to say that 
If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have a right to this table. Well, I was divorced. That the Bible says it doesn't say anything about divorce. Well, I, I'm not a member of the church. It doesn't say anything about that. It just says your approach to what you... So this church, once again, in, in the light of our teaching, represents a covenant. That's all it is. This is not holy. We bought this at a store. Are you kidding me? This is just grape juice. God knows how long it's been in that cup. So if y'all get a buzz after that, it's not my fault. Because we order these things, you know, they, you know, God knows it's been sitting there how long. This is just a piece of bread. But by me understanding that this represents his blood, and this represents his body, and I have a situation here, and I take covenant over it, that means, as far as I'm concerned, God already dealt with that. And I don't have a right to touch it with my mouth. I can't go back and say, well, you know, no, it's done, it's settled. So settle some things today. Maybe about what, it, you know, I'll tell you what, what's, you know, if, if there's fear in your life, settle that fear. What is that thing causing fear? Because this thing with COVID has just gone completely off the charts as far as the fear is. Now, let's take it serious, do the social distance, all that, but don't let fear run this thing, amen? Father, we thank you for the word today, and we receive it with joy, and we take communion under the premise that I just presented to them, God, that, Lord, this is covenant. And I know this COVID thing has worn a lot of people down. Some of them have been affected directly. Some of it are under it right now. But I just thank you, Father, that we are the church. We are kingdom people. And, Lord, we take things serious. We don't make light of any of it. But we will not let fear control this thing. We take covenant, and all the fear of COVID is removed from this church, from this body, from our online church. And, Father, anything else, maybe it's not a fear. Maybe it's a dream. People that are dreaming anything. If it's according to you, will we receive. We thank you, Lord, for Psalm 91. We thank you, Father, that February is going to be a great month. It's going to be a blessed month. Nothing missing, nothing broken, no catastrophes, no calamities. Nobody else going home this month because of any reason. We thank you that February is going to be blessed, and every month after that is going to be a greater blessed. I thank you for this church. We bless this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. And Paul, once again, verse 24 said, And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you. Covenant is sealed. We are a healthy, blessed, prosperous body. And we will remain in that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Praise you, Jesus. All right, we're almost done, guys. Okay, before we um, pick up this morning's offering, we'll let the ushers go back and minister to you. I do want to remind you, everyone is invited to our, our Super Bowl gathering, and I do want to address some of the concerns, because I know it's, Heaven Bill's been talking a lot about it. Number one, we are completely legal to have it here. That's been something that's been coming out because they say, well, this and that, and then now that you got the COVID cops, I think Laredo has gone insane. I haven't heard what Heaverville's doing, but Laredo supposedly is going to send Super Bowl patrols out. That sounds like Nazi Germany. My God, we have gone, we have lost our mind. But here's the thing, according to our governor, from the beginning of the crisis, I like this. Our governor is a good guy. He gets it. He said churches are essential. Do you believe that? you believe today you have an essential teaching in your life? Because if you can get this, it's essential, right? So we are, whatever we do in this building is covered completely legally. What we do, I want you to understand, 
is that social distancing is still a requirement from the state. Masks are optional, but if you want to wear one, if you feel more comfortable, please wear one. Uh, we're not going to force it, but if you, you know, there's going to be different people mixing around. You're going to be in a building for a couple hours, and if you're, if you have the, I don't want to say fear, if you have the concerns, not really fear, just say, okay, wear a mask. Nobody's going to look down upon you. If you're going to talk to somebody that's not part of your household family, put your mask on. You know, just wear it down here, and <laughs> up and down, whatever. But you know, do what you need to do. But at the same time, don't let that, don't let all that steal the joy of coming and having a great time. Because it's going to be good. I mean, we're going to have some stuff for the kids. You know, as most of you know, Lauro, Lauro um, will not be able to be here. He runs the whole thing, and he was so, um, you know, distraught about it. And I said, no, no, brother, I just encourage him. We'll get it done, because he loved it. It's his, it's his baby. He, you know, he came up with it. He's been running it for three years, and, he, and he's, like, really, really heartbroken not be able to be here um, because of the situation they got, you know, in, and, and we respect that. So, so we'll, we'll get it done for him, amen? But, but um, it's, it's a good time. We have some stuff for the kids. And, you know, just come and, and, and enjoy what everybody else. And guess what? Some of you are going to find out that you can actually watch a Super Bowl and not get drunk. That's actually can happen, you know? That's, some people, you know, back in the day, how can you relate it, right? No, you can have a great time. So please come over. Uh, I think the, the actual game doesn't start till like 5.30 or so. We'll be here from 4.30 on. There'll be stuff going on. And invite people. You know, you want to invite somebody. We have families in our church today that the first exposure to our church was last year's Super Bowl. They, they would have never gone to our church because they think churches are weird and all that. But somebody invited them to Super Bowl. They came and said, okay, I'll go. Kind of got, and then they find out what we were about. They found out that most of you are not weird. You know, um, that we are normal people, that we love life, we love football, and we love Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And that we could actually hang out with each other and have a great time and not have to be hung over tomorrow, you know. It's just a different life. It's kingdom life. So, you know, come over, enjoy it, do what you need to do. And if you can't come, I completely understand. But but like again, don't let fear control it. And if you you know, whatever you know, one of the things we did in Laredo, we're not we're not doing it here, just Laredo's a little different mix. I thought it was a good idea. I didn't come up with the idea, but I thought it was a good idea. They, they ordered little bracelets that you, when you walk in the door, it's a red, green, and yellow. And it's a thing now, I didn't know that. And you put it on, and what that tells the other person is how comfortable you are with how close they are. In other words, if it's green, Viva Mexico, right? You get to hug, I don't care. If it's yellow, it's like, keep your distance. And if it's red, don't even get close to me. And it's not necessarily bad because some people are in different places. That's why I don't judge people. You know, if you haven't been exposed, by the way, get your offerings ready. I'm not going to talk about offering. <laughs> you know what to do. If you need an offering ready, uh, put the offering information on the screen. But here's where I'm going. Not everybody is where you are regarding fear. So don't judge people. We've been under this teaching for almost 30 years. Come on, if we don't get it by now. But there's people that are just barely navigating and they're still carrying fear. Don't, be, don't look down on those people. My God, you were there. I was there, so that's where those little bracelets came in. Now, we're not doing that here. I'm just saying, so if somebody has a mask on, respect it. It's not about fear. Just respect them. Don't, if they have a mask on, don't go over there and get all over them. Don't do that. That's what this is about, right? Because there's nobody better than anybody else. Some people have navigated, so I'm saying, 
come to the Super Bowl, feel comfortable. And here's the whole thing, you know, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. They're making a big deal of gatherings for the Super Bowl, but how come, how come Walmart's open? Why don't they have a limit of how many people can actually be in the store? Because they don't care. Because they make money and they pay taxes, and if you shut Walmart down, the government doesn't get any money. There's a lot of that going on. So when people say, oh, I can't, because we've heard it. We got under the scrutiny of, I'm just making a statement, clearing it up. I have no odd against anybody, but they were like, well, I can't believe your church can do a Super Bowl party, you know, what do they call it, spreader event, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we're not doing anything illegal. Nobody has to come here. And if you want to come, wear your mask. If you don't, too, don't wear a mask. But don't tell me we're doing something wrong when you can still go to Walmart and Target and H-E-B and to the mall and, and act like, you know, everything's fine, but the church is not fine. I'm not playing your game anymore. If the governor says shut it down, even there I would have to consider it, but I would consider that way more important than just local ordinances that don't apply to us. Amen. I'm not, and I know, I know they track us, so you guys are listening, you're watching me. That's fine. That's why I'm saying it. We love you all. Come to church. You'll love it. All right. Yeah, so they're, they're so bothered right now because I know they're like, yeah, they're watching that Facebook Live, you know. But anyhow, we love everybody. Have a great time. If you don't come, enjoy your family this week. And go ahead and stand with me and I'll get you out of here. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. Y'all enjoy it today. It's good, right? Father, we think, yeah, give the Lord praise. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Father, we just, we just thank you so much for where this is going. The word, the covenant, the communion, but the last act of worship, and it is worship, is to present our offerings to you, Father. And we don't make light of it. You've always provided for this church. You've always been able to keep our missions open. These, these people are amazing in their generosity, and I bless them, and I bless this offering, and I bless those tithes that are coming in. And Father, let us always handle this with the utmost level of integrity and honor to you, most part. Because Father, giving and sowing is, comes from a generous heart. It comes from a positive attitude, not from a demand, not from cons, not from twisting scriptures to try to get them. No, Father, we don't play that game. We honor it. And I thank you that everyone from our online church that's on right now, our Laredo church, that will be having a service in a little while. Father, our online church in Mexico, and of course, our in-house church here in Heavenville. I just thank you for all the people that are part of the Faithway family, and that, Father, that they are making a difference in Cuba and other nations. So we bless this time, we bless this month, we bless the remainder of this week. Until I see them again, the peace of God that passeth all understanding will go with them wherever they go. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, with that, you are dismissed. Hope to see you guys this afternoon. If you can make it, we will be here from 430 on. God bless you.